Getting recommendations from your friends for that perfect diet might be a big waste of time. The real answer is already within you, your genes. What are the best foods based on your DNA? What foods have the nutrients that you need? How quickly do you metabolize caffeine and alcohol? Don't guess. Use the code Verlander for $20 off of a Geno Palette DNA kit to find out how to eat for your genes. It's a blowout, eighth inning, 10 3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real finish. He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats with your host, Ben Verlander. We got another exciting one today. Of course, the storylines that I will get to in a second. I have a good friend of mine, a college teammate, a starting pitcher for the Tampa Rays joining me uh, today, Ryan Yarbrough. I have uh, the hotline questions where you guys call in and ask me whatever you want. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. Of course, six tool player of the week. And another poll from, from Twitter, the Flippin' Bats Twitter. So if you're not following Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter, make sure you do it. So another fun episode today. Let's get right into it. I want to start with some storylines. Uh, and this should be a storyline that everybody should be talking about. Jacob deGrom. I need to talk to you guys about what Jacob deGrom is doing. Jacob deGrom is having the best season to this point a pitcher has had ever. It's absolutely insane what he's doing. He, he went out the other day through six innings, struck out 10 guys, lowering his ERA. That was a .67 to now a 0.56. His ERA in June is 0.56. It is incredible. Through 61 and two-thirds innings, he's eclipsed the 100 strikeout mark which is the first time a pitcher has done that since 1893. Guys, this is, this is special. This is really, really special, what we're watching when Jacob deGrom takes the mound. And I wanted to bring in uh, a, nobody's better to talk to him about Jacob deGrom than a guy that calls his games every night. Play-by-play guy for the New York Mets, Wayne Randazzo. Wayne, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, Ben, you got it. Happy to be on. So let's talk to Grom. What, what is it like getting to call his games on a night-in and night-out basis? What we are seeing is unprecedented, and you're right there at the field every time he takes a mound getting to watch him. I mean, it's incredible. It's really a privilege, first of all, to be able to do this and to be able to watch Jacob DeGrom every fifth day. And, you know, I've been with the Mets since 2015, so – I've seen most of his career except for the rookie of the year season in 2014. So I've seen a lot of it. And Jacob just continues to get better and better every time he goes out there. And his teammates describe him as a guy who just wants to embarrass his opponent every time he goes out there. And that seems like that's what he's been doing (laughs) for most of his starts this year. And you forgot one of the craziest stats of all of them. He's the first pitcher since RBIs and earned run average started being recorded to have more RBIs than earned runs allowed in his first 10 starts in a season. So he's really a, a special player. He's probably the best player the Mets have overall. He has great speed. He can swing the bat. And, of course, the pitching. He really is a legitimate MVP candidate right now. The Mets have never had an MVP in a season. Well, that would be just fitting for their first MVP to come from a starting pitcher. And as to this point, nobody is more deserving than than Jacob deGrom. And I was actually going to get to the the hitting side of things because I'm obsessed with Shohei Otani. And, and what he's doing out on the West Coast is obviously impressive and should be talked about. Now, Jacob deGrom is no Shohei Otani with the bat, but he's getting to the point where it's like, we need to talk about this guy's hitting. Like, he's hitting great. He, like you said, he has more runs batted in this year than runs given up. That is absolutely insane. The guy actually has a pretty good swing, right? He does. You know, he's batting 400 this year. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Tommy obviously could do it day in and day out and have great power and all that. But, you know, look at DeGrom, especially in those RBI situations, it seems like he's almost one of the guys you want up there in those spots. He feeds off the crowd, and when there is a clutch moment, like there was the other night, he had runners on second and third in a close game. 
pops a base hit the left center. He scores two runs. The place is up for grabs, and that's while he's shutting out a great Padre team for the second time in a week, giving up one hit in six innings and striking out ten. He was near perfect in that game on Friday on both sides of the ball. It, you know, it's just you run out of things to really describe Jacob DeGrom with. What he's really doing is unmatched in the history of the game. You think about Tom Seaver and Bob Gibson and Pedro Martinez and all the great, great pitchers in the history of baseball. Well, what Jacob DeGrom has done through the first 10 starts, you know, none of those guys have done. So when you think about this season for DeGrom and seeing it through to the end, baseball deserves to see how this finishes. And I hope that Jacob can stay healthy for the entire year, make 30 starts or whatever the case needs to be to say that this could be one of the greatest seasons ever pitched in baseball history. Bob Gibson had a 112 ERA in 1968. DeGrom's got half of that right now through 10 starts. It's insane. And and you you, you said it best. You, you've been there since almost the beginning of, of DeGrom being in the big leagues. What is it about him? What has it – it's – progressed every year he seems to get better and better and better age is not a factor for this guy it's almost like the older he gets and it's not almost like it is the older he gets the better he's pitching what is happening in his career that he's able to do this you know I think it helped that he was late to the stage as far as a pitcher goes he didn't pitch even all that much in college he didn't pitch in high school so there wasn't a lot of mileage on his arm he had Tommy John surgery early on in his pro career when he was still in the minor leagues so, you know, by and large, it's a pretty fresh arm for 33. You know, a lot of guys get to that age and they're almost cooked at that point because they've been pitching their whole lives. And by that age, they just don't have as much as they used to. DeGrom has been able to get better because of the fact that he really didn't pitch much as a young player. And now he's been able to log his innings and do so at a professional level where he's not getting abused like a lot of pitchers do on their way to the big leagues. So that that's one thing that helps. Another thing is... He really cares about conditioning his body, about his delivery and what that is supposed to look like. He is very in tune with how he's supposed to feel, not only physically, but how he's supposed to feel while he's pitching. And if he gets out of that, he knows how to quickly correct it. And another thing that he's good at doing is being able to correct things on the fly during a game and make adjustments. Mm -hmm. You know, if there is a pitch that feels off, he can go to something else. You know, one thing he has is an elite curveball. Jeremy Hefner, the Mets pitching coach, says he doesn't even need to use it because his <laughs> fastball slider and changeup do the job. He's thrown two curveballs all year, but the pitching <laughs> coach says if he used it, it would be elite. That's the kind of pitcher Jacob DeGrom is. He's got a fourth weapon in his pocket that he doesn't even go to. That's incredible. Wayne, one thing I can say for certainty is I am very jealous of you being able to be in the ballpark every single night when he takes the mound. I really appreciate you joining me, man. I uh, have to have you back on anytime we talk about the Mets. Um, so he said it best. He really did. He's getting better with age. It's absolutely incredible to watch. And the whole country is rooting for him, like Wayne said, to just stay healthy. That's all we want. I want it. The whole baseball world should want it because what Jacob deGrom doing, is doing is special. So with that, let me welcome in this week's guest, starting pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays and a college teammate of mine, my friend, Ryan Yarbrough. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Been with a long time, no see. Appreciate having me. Go Arcs. Of course, man. Dude, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but the story of how I first got to know you or met you and figured out you were coming to ODU because you went, you grew up in Florida, you go to Santa Fe down there, and then I'm playing summer ball in the Valley League and we're getting ready for a game and somebody comes up to me and says, uh, this, uh, we're facing your teammate tonight. And I'm like, who? And they're like, Ryan Yarbrough. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know this guy. <laughs> and it's like, it turns out you're transferring. And that's how I ended up facing you that game and had no idea uh, you were coming to ODU. And then we end up becoming teammates and playing for a year there. Um, what a run, man. I, so I, I needed to, I wanted to ask you about that because when I first met you, this is no lie, you were throwing like 80, like 78, 80 miles an hour. And then 
I could see the transformation at ODU. I watched it happen in front of my eyes, and then I saw it that next year when I was gone. What happened over the course of that year where you were able to, to figure out a bunch of things and go from a guy throwing 78 to 80 to a lefty, big, tall lefty throwing 90? You got to bring up the Valley League like that, man, first of all. like <laughs> That was a terrible summer. I threw awful. So the fact that just – I'm sure you probably hit me around and I'm like, oh, great. Got to face Ben Verlander, probably the face of the program, just you know, whack <laughs> yeah. me around. So that was, that was fantastic. No, but no, it was, it was, uh, it was one of those things when I got recruited by old dominion, that was like the biggest reason why I came there was talking to coach Finwood and the pitching coach, Tim Levine at the time, it was just, Hey, this is where we can see you getting. And I knew I was really projectable. Like I said, lefty kind of tall, lanky, but, kind of nothing's changed to be honest with you, but um, they could, they knew they could get more out of me. And then that first fall, you kind of see everything they were doing, finally getting the weight room for the first time, long tossing, just starting to use my legs a little better. It was, it was incredible. I, I remember well you get in the weight room because I had to see you flirting in there every day with your now wife, Nicole, <laughs> who was part of the ODU athletic uh, program. So she was in there all the time. So, that's what that's another great thing that came out of you is extra motivation, <laughs> extra motivation to lift more weight than you ever would have previously. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, no, she, uh, she said she wanted me to tell you hello. She heard about this. She's like, so like you're good. Right. I'm like, well, yeah, obviously. And she's <laughs> like, well, you got to tell Ben hello for me. So she wanted me to give you a little shout out for sure. Of course. Well, of course, shout her out and tell her I said, hello, please. So I also, so you got drafted that same year I did. In 2013, you actually got drafted in the 20th round by the Brewers um, and mm -hmm. did not go. What, what went into that decision? Was there ever in your mind, like, all right, I'm going to go? Yeah, I was, um, especially looking back on it, um, just be able to, how blessed I was to go get drafted again my senior year, which is, you don't normally get two chances for a lot of guys. You kind of see guys potentially turning down and then um, something happening. Uh, with their career, but uh, no, it was, I think it was kind of everything we had talked about where you kind of come in and everything happens really fast where you gain some velocity, everything you started getting attention was at Juco never was looked at by a scout at all. So like pro wise. So I didn't know if I was ready. Um, Cause like I said, everything happened really fast. So it was some talk to my family and talking to the coaches there. They're obviously very supportive, but um, I think to be honest, everyone in my family is like, why aren't you going? Like, are you doing this or not? <laughs> Uh, and I said, no. And then, like I said, lucky I was lucky enough to get drafted by the Mariners next year in the fourth round as a senior sign. So very blessed. Well, before we get into the pro ball stuff, I normally do this at the top of every show, but I forgot because we were reminiscing about, you know, opening up the yearbook and talking about college. But I would normally do trivia right off the top. So we got a bunch of, we got some trivia questions for you. We got a leaderboard with uh, Reese Hoskins at the top. He's got an eight, Jeff McNeil uh -oh. and Wade Miley right below. So we got a trivia question, 60 seconds, all stuff about your career. You ready? Well, let's do it. All right, ready? First MLB strikeout against? Rock Holt. Yes. Uh, who was the first MLB batter you faced? Oh, someone from the Red Sox. I don't know. Devers? Bogarts? Uh, it was Bogarts. Who was the first MLB home run allowed to? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, Max I probably Kepler. should know that one. <laughs> Who is your first MLB win against? The Red Sox. Yes. Number of pitches thrown in your first start? Uh, like 70-ish. 88. What was your jersey number in your debut? 48. Yes. Who relieved you in your first MLB start? Andrew Kittredge. Uh, no. First away game that you pitched in, where was it? First away games, that would have been Chicago. Uh, no. Boston. <laughs> That's it. Oof. This is <laughs> embarrassing. You're not doing our, you're not doing our ODU education great, dude. <laughs> 
Uh, let's see what you missed there. Well, you guessed half the Red Sox lineup on who was the first batter you faced. You got Bogarts in there at some point, but I think your first guess was Devers. Kepler was your first homer, 88 pitches. Matt Andreasi, and how do you say it? Andresi? Andres? Andres. He was who relieved you. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, dude. Yeah, your first away game is in Fenway. How do you how do you not remember that one? Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm only thing only reason I'd said Chicago is we're in Chicago right now, and I just remember because we come here every first road trip except this year, and we're freezing in like the snow and like 40 degree weather. So it's just on my mind right now. Apparently. Oh God! All right. So then you end up getting drafted by the Mariners. Drafted in the fourth round, I believe, right by the Mariners. Yeah, fourth round. So. One question I, I ask everybody uh, when they join me, because, you know, I, I experienced the minor league life and the grind of the minor leagues and have a million stories from the minor leagues. And baseball is so unique that everyone experiences it. What is what is one story that you have from the minor league days that'll stay with you forever? I think anytime I've, I've been lucky enough that I played in a lot of winning teams in the minor leagues. So I think if anything, it's just the, the celebrations, I feel like those have been the biggest things or um, <laughs> maybe not the most family friendly, but when you kind of go out after we, uh, this was in, ended up being in Durham in 2017, we clinched and we had a day game, unfortunately, the next day. And we obviously went out to celebrate and I don't think most people got back to their places until <laughs> uh, the sun came out for, and then you play, go play back to the stadium and play a one o'clock game. Let's just say it, it didn't go that great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't imagine it goes so great. But whatever, you had already clinched. You're good. So Yeah, it's the end of the year. You're having fun. Right. So then you uh, you get traded. You, you become a member of the Tampa Rays organization. Um, and then you make your debut in, in 2018 in Boston. And you give up one run strikeout three and, and four innings of work. Take me back to that day and, and, and making your MLB debut in Fenway Park, even though you didn't remember that it was in Fenway. But take me back to that day of making your debut in a place like that against the Red Sox. Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was kind of crazy because I, I just got added to the roster that offseason. So at that point, your whole goal is, okay, I'm going to try to make the team out of spring. And normally teams are kind of said going in from the off season. So you're just trying to make a good impression. And I was lucky enough to make the team out of spring. And um, it actually ended up being, it was, I think it was at the trop. Um, but the, the biggest thing from it was I came in relief. We were actually wearing, you know, those throwbacks we wear now, the devil Ray ones. Oh yeah. Those are sick. So they were luckily enough. That was the cool one I got to make my debut in. And the, I'll have to find it or send to you later. It was Brad Miller was playing first base for us. And there was literally a pop-up uh, in foul territory, literally right by our dugout. He just like full sprint mode and just makes a sliding basket catch right in front of our manager, Kevin Cash, in like one of my first few innings. And I'm like, all right, welcome to the big leagues. This is this is how it goes here, man. Yeah, you're Most like, plays, welcome like, to the big leagues. Ben wasn't making that play at Old Dominion for me. That's what you were thinking. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. No, you're just hitting homers, man. <laughs> um. So you go on to have an awesome rookie year, um, you know, led, led rookies and, and wins um, and rookie wins in franchise history. You're second on the team in wins. You threw great all year. Um, what like what was it coming over to the Rays that resulted in a year like that? Because you you weren't. You know, I had been watching you your whole career and coming up, and, and this is nothing against you when you were with the Mariners, but it's almost like you had a complete overhaul, a complete change, and became the pitcher you are today with the Rays. Right. What, what about that organization turned you into the pitcher that you are now and became that rookie year where you had so much success? Yeah, I think it's, it starts off with getting into pro ball with the Mariners. That they kind of like helped me like set the foundation, kind of go how about your business, how do you who you are as a pitcher and then getting traded over the, the Rays was probably the biggest thing when the fact of um, I remember talking to my agent at the time and he was like, this is the, the best thing that could happen to you. Like they're so great at developing pitchers and 
Um, so when I got traded over that first spring training, uh, they, at the end of it, when I got sent down to minor league camp, they were like, Hey, we want you to work on a little tighter breaking ball, nothing to like to add to your repertoire. And it ended up turning into my cutter. I didn't throw it until I got to the race. So, which has become a huge part of my game right now. So, and luckily I was able to have Kyle Snyder, our current pitching coach every year I've been with this organization. I had him in 2017 and AAA, and he's been my big league coach every year I've been up. So we've been able to kind of grow together and uh, continue to get better. So your agent even said it, and, and everybody knows this, the Rays develop pitchers better than anybody else. What is it? Like, what is it that makes them so good at this? I think it's just they have such a good eye for talent, and maybe you kind of see guys and that maybe don't have success other places or maybe not getting a shot, and then they come here, and everyone's like, where'd this guy come from? Yeah. I think that everybody – has always been good. They just maybe getting the opportunity or fine tune a couple of things. And you kind of see every single year, there's at least multiple guys who come up and have a lot of success with us. So they just have such a good eye for talent and how to develop guys. And it's just impressive the amount of the great arms we have here. So, so then you get, we go towards your second season uh, and, you, and you make the team out of spring and you really struggle your first three, four appearances. And then you actually get sent down to AAA. And you're not there long and you come back up and you're back. You're back to being the guy you yeah. are now. You're throwing great. Uh, by the end of July, your ERA was back to under four in a, in a great place. What, what happened when you went down? What, what did you figure out? It's just, I think it got maybe uh, had some things happen in spring where you don't really get on the best place where you want to be. And like I said, your first couple outings, they don't really go well and to be up all year, the year before in your first full year, which is doesn't happen to a lot of guys. And right away, you're just wanting to continue that success and you don't, it, it sucks. And so you kind of have to go down for a little bit and really fine tune some things. And I was lucky enough that pitching coach down at AAA, Rick Knapp was, was great for me, kind of helped me get back in sync and get back to who I am. And I just, when I got back to the big leagues, I ran with it. I, I talk about this, a lot just because I know, at least from the hitting perspective, how mental baseball can be and how tough it is on you and how much it wears on you. When you were going through that stretch in the big leagues and then got sent down, were you, was it all physical or were you going through some stuff mentally too where you're like, I, I just can't, this is awful? Yeah, and especially with, um, like I said, being up all 18 my rookie year uh, to not really have to experience like that uh, – going up and down between AAA and the big leagues, which a lot of guys can do during the year um, to be able to finally experience that when you've had some success, it's, it's, a, it's a weird, it weighs on you mentally when you're like, man, what, what am I doing? I know I could be there right now. What things just aren't going my way. Um, so you definitely got to work through some things, but at the same time, you just got to worry about, Hey, if I just take care of my stuff on the field here, I'll be back there. I know that there was never anything like, Oh my God, this is all unraveling. It was just a matter of getting, back to where I need to be and I uh, know I'd be back yeah and then you quickly got back to where you needed to be and one thing I always wonder with with pitchers especially from the Rays is you guys kind of adopted the the bullpen game and you know just literally anybody up at any moment your starting pitcher could your starter or your your closer could start a game what is it like um, like what was your first reaction when you, when you heard about this? Like it, it's different than, than any organization. So when you first hear, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to have some bullpen games or the starter is going to go two innings. Is your thought like, all right, all right fine. Or are you like, well, shoot, I wanted to throw six. Yeah, I think it was, well, the first time it happened, we were in Anaheim and it was, I think it was like the getaway day or maybe not. It was like one of the middle games and, um, uh, Kyle Snyder pitching coach, like, hey, uh, I knew it was my day to throw, so I knew it was some capacity. Of like, hey, Sergio, Sergio Romo's going to start tomorrow. And I'm just like, uh, you mean our closer? Like the guys, like at the back end of our bullpen? Like, what are we doing here? So everyone was like, That's, what, what, I have no idea what if this is going to work. And then you, he goes out there, and I think he punches out the side or something <laughs> crazy because you got three great righties up there. And they're like, all right, here's the, here's the game. You're in. I'm like, okay. Like, and we we won the game, and we're like, is this a new thing? Is this going to be normal? Like what, what just happened? Like no one had heard of this. And then me and Ryan Stanek did it like the rest of the year and a lot of 19 and you just kind of saw the results of it. So do you know 
do you know like what goes so you hear Sergio Romo is going to start is there something in their mind like okay we're going to start Romo now because he's guaranteed to face these three batters and he has success against those guys like what, what goes into that decision randomly being like yeah we're starting Romo today yeah, I think for – because he only did, I think, that one time just because of how important he was back into the bullpen. But it was just they had three really good right-handed hitters at the top of the order. And with his slider, it's just a great matchup for him. So I feel like that was the initial thought process. And then it kind of continued to do that with Stanek and whoever would potentially other uh, do it for the rest of the year. And, and then you kind of get also the, the sense of, look, Ryan Stanek, he throws 100 with some nasty stuff. And then, no offense, I'm not. So like got me coming in afterwards and it's a completely different look for guys for different at bats. And I'm sure for you, if you're not getting multiple bats against one guy and you're just having to say, Oh, great. I can throw this guy gets thrown a hundred for one at bat. Let's just hang with him and see what happens. I a hundred percent. I would, uh, I would much rather face a dominant pitcher and get to see him for three or four at bats than good pitchers seeing them once and and it just rotating right. it, it's it's tough and and you talked about it so th there's a lot of guys in the league right now more so than ever before throwing a hundred with nasty stuff and you're out there having a lot of success and being the guy you are with without throwing a hundred miles an hour and not having that sort of stuff how are you finding success in the league today without having that dominant hundred mile an hour stuff that a lot of the league has yeah, I think it's just been one of those things we're talking with Kyle Snyder, pitching coach, and like I said, being with him over these years of how can you go about being successful by not having this big fastball with you. So for me, it's the cutter up and in on guys, the keeping guys off balance and making them get uncomfortable at the plate and getting ahead of guys so they're going to have to like make decisions later in counts where maybe they would uh, take balls if they were ahead in the count. So I've just been having some success with that. And look, you've even said it with guys on our team, we got multiple guys, even in our starting rotation, who throw high nineties plus it's, it's impressive. This where the game's going these days. Yeah. You got, you got glass now in that rotation. who was actually my first ever guest on this show. And I don't know if you know this, but there's uh, some good luck that comes from this podcast. So, uh, I'm also looking forward to you going out and shoving for the rest of the year. Even though you have been already, you just threw a complete game in Yankee Stadium. That's pretty sick. How was that? That was – it was crazy. It was um, – I feel like as a pitcher, your your whole goal is to go as deep as possible. But with how the game is played, you've kind of seen, especially with the Rays, we haven't thrown one since like 2016 or something. Yeah. It's been like five years, so it doesn't really happen here. Uh, so to be able to – after the seventh inning where they're normally cash will tell you right away. If like, Hey, that's it. Appreciate it. Great job today. Or so he instantly like walked into the other guy and said, Hey, keep going. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do this. <laughs> and then after the eighth, I'm like, well, at this point I'm, I'm, I'm not coming out. And he didn't say anything again. And so at that point I knew it was, the game was mine and it was just a matter of getting the job done. After the eighth, is that anywhere you walk in and just don't make eye contact with him and hope he doesn't like come find you and tell you he's done. Yeah, we, and we, uh, unfortunately had like we went through a similar scenario in, in Seattle in 19 and so I had some an idea of how to how to talk to him about it this time because we getting pulled in the ninth inning at that at that moment in 19 so um I knew I was going to be able to go out there and finish and talk my way into doing it regardless but <laughs> he didn't say anything and our pitching coach goes hey this is your inning let's, let's go out and do it I'm like all right cool like that's all I need to know what is your way of talking to him if he had brought it up? Remember twenty, remember 2019 in Seattle? We're not doing that again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. At that point, after 19, we had, he kind of uh, – because it was kind of ended up being a thing, I guess. But um, we had, we sat down and talked about it, and I'm like, I understand why we did it. But I'm like, next time, like, I'm, I'm going to finish it. Like, <laughs> this isn't happening again. He's like, fair enough. So I was just – if anything, I was just going to bring that up again and see how he reacted. <laughs> I love that. So, and then now, now we're, you, we get to the 2020 season. You guys are, from start to finish, the best team in, in the American League, the best team in baseball. And, and it kind of always seems to, to just slide under the radar. I don't know what it is about the Rays, but it never, you guys never seem to get the respect you deserve. So 2020, you guys get into the playoffs. You beat, anybody, you beat everybody. You get into the World Series. And you get to start game four of the World Series. 
How was that day? Are, are the nerves, obviously the nerves are different, but just walk me through that day for you. Yeah, especially where um, anything can happen with the Rays. Like they like using the, all their guys at any moment. So I, when they told me I was starting, I was super ecstatic and happy. But at the same time, I was trying to like tell myself not to like, hey, don't, it's just another game. Like, let's not just like over amplify this thing, even though like obviously it's the World Series, but you're not trying to like talk yourself into trying to do too much out there. So I just tried to go about my normal routine uh, the day before, just kind of got some sleep. It's tough because they're night games. So you have all morning to kind of think about some things at times. So you're just like, all right, I just want to get to the field. I just want to start doing, get moving around. Um, and then you go out there and I think I got uh, through like three or four innings, gave up a couple home runs, which is just you're aggravated. So you're down, but then that game was ridiculous. It was incredible. incredible how it just kept going back and forth. I think it was some six or seven half innings of, uh, run scoring every half, which has never <laughs> happened before. Some, and then you have Brett Phillips walk it off. Just the most memorable game I'll ever be a part of. Is that your? Is that the most memorable moment from that World Series for you? That that game, that Brett Phillips moment. Yeah, I think so. And I was I was pretty cool. Where I was pretty aware at the time, where guys are getting stuff signed and wanting stuff to hold on to and cherish. And like I said, I was able to start, so I had them. Uh, recreate the lineup card and I had to leave everybody on our team sign it, especially since we won that game. So I'm getting that thing framed and going to be hung up in our house somewhere just to kind of be like, yeah, I was a part of that incredible game and just a, a cool little talking point down the road. I'm sure. Yeah. That's actually really cool. So we've talked about what it is with the Rays, you know, pitching and, and how they transform guys into being the pitchers that they are. But what is it with like, I don't know. You look at the Rays going into every single season and they don't have the roster on paper that, let's say, the Dodgers have or like the New York Yankees. But you guys are constantly for years now the best team in the American League, one of the best teams in the American League every year. And already this year, you're the first team to 40 wins and you're in first place in the AL East and and playing great. Is it is it? a cultural thing with you guys or is it the the coaching staff or, or what is it that makes the Rays so great with the roster that they have? I think it's a little bit of everything. I think for one, it's the culture is definitely super important. And the fact of everyone buys in, um, I think that's just due to the fact of the coaching staff we have where they create that environment to just be yourself. Um, but at the same time, if, if they make a decision, there's always a reasoning behind it. It's not just uh, on a whim and they can explain it to you that way. So I feel like it makes it easier for guys to buy in at the beginning, especially coming from different places. Um, so that, and like I said, guys buying in doesn't matter what they do, as long as they're contributing, they're extremely happy and we're putting a great product on the field right now. And it also attributes to our depth. I feel like that's been the biggest thing, especially going from 60 to 162. You got to have a lot of great guys and, doesn't just it's not just 26 guys it's the full 40-man roster sometimes more so we got a ton of depth and that definitely helps us out yeah it definitely feels like baseball is is changing this year baseball there's there's more buzz around it there's more hype about it you have all these new exciting players that are breaking all of the unwritten rules of baseball and you're hearing all these talk about rules if you were commissioner for a day what is one rule that you would implement or take out for the betterment of the game of baseball? Ooh. Man, that's, that's tough. I feel like we're, I'm just extremely blessed to be able to play this game or that's been the biggest thing. It's just, you just want to go out there and play. So um, whatever just creates the best product on the field. I don't really, I haven't really thought about it too much, but. Um, you kind of see guys having a lot more fun. So I feel like just in, more incorporating that kind of seeing a little bit more guys personality, especially with all the social media these days, just maybe getting the outreach a little bit more where people are able to connect with them. Um, is always going to be fun. Kind of get pe more and people involved in the game. As a pitcher, are you one of those guys that like, if you get, if you give up a home run and a guy bat flips, are you like pissed off or are you like, yeah, whatever. Do you, you got me. I mean, yeah, maybe the maybe the situation, but it doesn't matter to me. Honestly, like if you give up a home run, you're obviously making a bad pitch. So for me, I'm probably more pissed off at myself for giving the guy a pitch where he can do some damage. Um, 
But I mean, especially if they, they really get into one, man, like, hey, kudos to you, dude. Yeah. All right. I have three career moment questions for you that I ask everybody. Um, all the same questions. So the first one for you is, what was your welcome to the big leagues moment? Um, I, I, honestly, I think it was that we had talked about that Brad Miller play. Just when you have incredible defense where you, you have a lot of good players, you play within the minor leagues, but literally when every single player behind you can make those kind of plays, it's like, okay, that's this is the show. This is, this is how it goes here. So when you kind of see him make that, uh, basket sliding catch right in front of our dugout, literally right almost sliding into our dugout. It's just impressive. What is your most memorable play that you've made on the field? <laughs> you know, you guys show up as a pitcher, you don't really get to show too much athleticism out there. But uh, <laughs> when you, uh, in the World Series, when I started in game four, I think I somehow uh, got a pitch in or something on Cody Bellinger, and literally we had a super pull shift on him and it was a little pop-up to like where the third baseman would be standing and I just instantly sprint over there and make a over the shoulder catch in the infield uh you don't really see those very often so to be able to do that and then obviously in the world series is pretty pretty cool pitchers are athletes RB. pitchers are athletes look at you we're gonna make t-shirts don't worry I'll send you one <laughs> please I'll take it all right what is a moment that stands out to you that has taken place with teammates off of the field We've done a lot of, uh, of team dinners every year. You kind of, at some point, obviously we couldn't do last year because of COVID, but every year normally you get a, a team dinner where everyone on the road normally will get a humongous table or a back room or something where everyone can just kind of hang out and get to know each other a little bit better. It normally happens like maybe earlier in the year. So those are the moments you always kind of cherish where you're able to kind of hang out with the guys. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, one, you know, one thing I always think is cool is for a few years in a row there, it seemed like uh, the Astros when my brother was on the team and you guys were facing off in the playoffs. And it was always really cool to, to go down to Tampa and every game I would sit in the seats with with Nicole, your wife, and we'd just talk and, and talk about you and just watch baseball. And then I'd hang out with you for a little while after the game. So uh, those are always fun times for sure. Yarby. I appreciate you joining me, man. I, I really appreciate it. I'm going to have to get you back on here uh, sometime soon for sure. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, whenever you're down in Tampa, come hang out, man. We'd love to see you. All right. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. All right, and thanks again to my guest, Ryan Yarbrough, for joining me. It is time to get in to the hotline questions that you guys send in, one of my favorite parts of the show where you guys call in. And voice your pleasure, displeasure, ask me questions, whatever it may be. 213-537-9339 is the number. Keep getting those calls in. But hit me with that first question this week. What's up, Ben? Uh, with all the young guys becoming superstars now, who's the next big prospect that we should be on the lookout for? Good question. Thanks for asking. The next big prospect to be on the lookout for. Uh, one, I think, that comes to mind immediately is Wander Franco in, in Tampa. Uh, I think everybody thought when Willie Adamas got traded to the Brewers that he was going to be the guy. I'm fine with him not being the guy yet. But he is the future shortstop of the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he is a stud. He is absolutely insane in the field. Uh, he can rake at the plate. Uh, so he's going to be a huge... He's going to be a superstar in the game, I think. But another one I wanted to mention is a guy that was in, in the big leagues this year. He made it up. He had a lot of talk around him. Jared Kalanick uh, had a tough start to his career in Seattle. He's a huge prized uh, prospect in the minor leagues for the, for the uh, Mariners. He comes up. He hits a homer early on in, in his uh, – not a, it wasn't his debut game, but hits a homer early on and then proceeds to go – on an 0 for 39 stretch, hitless in like 11 games in a row, really, really, really struggled and got sent back down. I do want to talk about him because I think he is going to be a superstar in this league. I talk about it all the time. Hitting is very mental. Clearly what he was going through was mental. It was clear as day. You watch the games. He just couldn't get a hit. He knew going up to the plate. He was walking up there with no confidence. Going on an 0 for 39 stretch on a guy with that much talent tells you it's all mental. He's going to be a stud in the league. So Jared Kalanick of the Mariners, 
eventually will come back up and do good things for them. And Wander Franco with the Rays is my answer to that question. So hit me with the next one. Hey there, Ben Verlander. This is Charlotte Wilder of Fox Sports. Um, I'm calling because you left some comments on a picture of me with Barry Bonds uh, at the dog show, which is not a sentence I thought I'd ever say. But I want to hear your thoughts on Barry Bonds, man. He was my favorite player when I was growing up. It's about his home gym, which was kind of weird and kind of amazing. And uh the dude looks great. So uh, tell me, tell me your thoughts. Uh, I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Charlotte. Uh, our very own Charlotte Wilder, who was working the Westminster uh, dog show, by the way, which was sick to watch. So good work there, Charlotte. Also, saw a picture that you posted on Instagram with Barry Bonds. That's getting into my territory. I don't, this is unfair. I want to take a picture with Barry Bonds. He's the greatest hitter that ever was. And Charlotte's at a dog show taking a picture next to him. And I see it. And I'm like, what, how? What, how is this happening? So Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds' dog was in the Westminster dog show. I, I was perplexed seeing this happen. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that our own Charlotte Wilder won would be there covering it. And the most fitting thing in the world is that she just happens to run into Barry Bonds and takes a picture with him whose dog is also in it. Unbelievable, man. Like, so jealous. Not only that you got to cover the dog show, but that you got to meet Barry Bonds. Man, that was awesome, though. Really cool. Really cool to see him there. Great interview he did for, for Fox Sports. And Charlotte did an awesome job there. So, Charlotte, thanks for calling. And I'm very jealous of you. Um, but thank you guys for calling in as usual, 213-537-9339. Get those calls in, guys. This is one of my favorite segments of the show, so make sure you keep getting those calls in. But on to something different. On to my man, Shohei Otani. This week in Shohei Otani news, what did he do? Well, a lot. I'm glad you asked. He hit a 470-foot bomb this week, by the way absolutely demolished it. I have run out of words for this guy. I really have. I've run out of words for how special of a talent Shohei Otani is. At this point, if we're not appreciating it, you're doing something wrong. 470-foot bomb for Shohei Otani this week. And then, fast forward to Friday, where he starts on the mound in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. Starting on the mound, and look, I never want to just brush over the fact that he's starting on the mound and hitting at the top of the order for the Angels. That should never just be brushed over. So Friday, he starts on the mound for the Angels. He's also hitting. He strikes out eight guys that night. And also, but this was the coolest part of the night. I was watching this at bat. He fouled a ball off of his leg. Okay, fouled a ball off. Goes down in a lot of pain. Goes down in a lot of pain, gets back up, walks it off, limps around, you know, that whole thing. And then hits a laser double into the gap. Doubles. He had two doubles that night. Punched out eight on the mound. I also saw a cool stat. He had four at-bats that night, right? Four at-bats. The total exit velocity on, his, uh, on the four balls he put into play was 430 miles an hour he hit four balls in play at a total of 430 miles an hour exit velocity what what that's not even that's this guy i'm not even sure he's human at this point punches out eight 430 miles an hour worth of exit velocity on the night and uh on that exact game he balked twice he had two balks on the mound like what is this guy's doing something every single night that's like what what? Who do box back to back in a in a game anymore these days? Shohei Otani does. Not only is he brilliant at the plate, not only is he brilliant on the mound, he's also doing things that nobody else has done by just balking guys around the base. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna punch you out, but if you get on base, I'm just gonna balk you around. I I don't know what this guy's doing, but I love him. I love Shohei Otani. And a fun little nugget before I move on, of everybody's best pitch in the league. Everybody, the, the worst batting average against 
Shohei Otani's splitter. 0.037. That is the batting average against Shohei Otani's splitter. You don't want to see it, because if you don't, you're not getting on base. But if you do get on base, he might balk you around and then punch out the next guy, and he's going to get out of the inning, because he's just that great. So that is it for this week in Shohei Otani news. All right, and on to our poll question from social media this week. If you are not following on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever we're on social media, at Flippin' Bats Pod, we're doing polls every week. This week's poll, best hitter in the American League. Now look, before you say anything, before you say, it's Mike Trout, why is this even a discussion? Look, I know it's Mike Trout. Everybody knows Mike Trout is the best hitter in the American League, but he's hurt right now. He hasn't played in over a month, so we did not include him in this poll. So the guys we put on the graphic, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Shohei Otani, Xander Bogarts, those are guys we have on the graphic. Those are guys we put in the poll as well as other. So let's take a look at the results from the poll on Twitter and see who you guys voted as this week's poll question, best hitter in the American League. And kind of by blowout fashion, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., wins the poll with 47.1% of the vote, Shohei Otani getting 30.6% of the vote, and someone else getting 13.5% of the vote. And I got to believe Mike Trout is a lot of that someone else. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the results of this poll because I agree. As much as I love Shohei Otani, and we all know I love him, he's great for... A variety of different reasons. He's pitching, he's hitting, he's doing it all at a high level. The fact he's even on this graphic is a huge deal as the best hitter in the American League when he's also one of the best pitchers. But what I want to talk about is how we got this poll right on Twitter. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., what he is doing this year is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. He's lost some weight coming into this season and it has transformed the player that he has become. Last week's six-tool player of the week, might I add, is absolutely killing it. He hit a few home runs in Fenway this past weekend, but he's not just a power hitter. The guy is hitting for average. The guy is hitting a lot of doubles. He's hitting a lot of homers. I think without a doubt, other than the obvious Mike Trout, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the best hitter in the American League right now. And I think this poll fits that well. I think winning by a good bit uh, I think we got this one right, guys. I think we got this one right. So make sure you're following Flippin' Bats Pod on social media because we do do these polls weekly. Uh, and this week's winner of our poll, best hitter in the American League, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Speaking of last week's six-tool player of the week, let's talk about this week's six-tool player of the week. And this week's six-tool player of the week is the Chicago Cubs outfielder, Jock Peterson. Man couple things here. One, Jock gets traded over to the Cubs, right? I feel like Jock is at home here. He, well, Wrigley's back to full capacity, by the way. It just came back to full capacity over the weekend. The place is electric, and Jock is having more fun there than anybody. Look, he started the year off slow, coming over from the Dodgers to the Cubs. It was a struggle to start the year, uh, but man, he has turned it around He's out there flipping bats. He's out there hitting bombs. He hit a homer in three straight games this past week. The first of which is pretty much the reason he's our six-tool player of the week. First of the week takes place in San Diego. In San Diego, he hits a bomb there. He walks out of the box. He does his cool. He's just, all of my six-tool player of the weeks are all cooler than me. Everybody. So he walks out of the box just looking cool he runs around the bases in san diego runs in front of fernando tatis jr and right in front of him at the third base bag he does his own signature fernando tatis home run trot you know the whole thing where he's running the bases he hesitates he steps back and then he runs third uh, rounds third he did it in san diego in front of fernando tatis trolled him in front of everybody it was great baseball is great I love it. It's in great hands, and Jock Peterson is a huge reason for that, and he is turning it around for the Chicago Cubs, man, and he is so exciting to watch, and the full crowd at Wrigley is having a blast watching him. I'm having a blast watching him, and he is this week's six-tool player of the week. 
But before I sign off, a little fun fact that's happened over the past couple days. Hayden Shinnefield, now of the Cincinnati Reds organization, the Reddit pitcher, as it's known. This guy reached out to uh, Kyle Bodie on Reddit, who is now part of, he's, a, he's the owner and founder of Driveline Pitching. He's now an advisor in the Cincinnati Reds organization. Kyle Bodie was doing a Q&A on Reddit. And this Hayden Shinnefield guy just comes on in the Q&A, asks a question and says, hey, look, I was just going to ask the question I had, but I figured I'd shoot my shot. Look, I play an independent ball I have for two years. Here's my numbers on my fastball. Here's my numbers on my changeup, my split change, and my slider. Here's the, here's the rotation I get. Here's how hard I throw them. Uh, anything we can do. Bodie actually reached back out to him, asking him to send him an email. So, of course, Shinnefield does it. He sends him an email. Long story short, the Reds end up signing this guy. And over the weekend, he pitched in his first professional appearance for the Cincinnati Reds and threw three and a third scoreless inning, innings, striking out a few guys. Just an incredible story. The Reddit pitcher, as he's being known, Hayden Shinnefield, reached out to a Reds advisor on Reddit and got a job. And at his first appearance, struck out a few guys, didn't give up a run. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, and that does it for this week's episode of Flippin' Bats. I appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you're getting in those follows. Everywhere that you have social media, we have social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Flippin' Bats Pod. Everywhere on social media. We do these polls now every week. So if you want to take part in the show and have your voice heard, obviously call in, but also follow on uh, social medias anywhere. And make sure you're subscribing Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Uh, and I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys. And thanks again for listening. Thanks again to my guest, Ryan Yarbrough, for joining me. And I will see you next week on Flipping Bats. It's a blowout. Eighth inning, 10 Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate.